Hello world, this is Jared Cunningham and welcome to episode 5 of the Freelance Forum. And with me today is uh, Seamus Dooley, uh, who's the Irish Secretary and Assistant General Secretary of the National Union of Journalists. I should of course say that the uh, Freelance Forum has been supported over the years by both the National Union of Journalists and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. So welcome along, Seamus. Thank you very much, Jared. Uh, I suppose we could just start by talking about... um, your impression, obviously, I don't want you to breach any confidentialities or anything, but how has the events of the last month affected our members in terms of what you've been seeing and, and hearing back from from feedback and problems and so on that they've been having? Well, I, I think there are it, the effects have been devastating at a number of levels. Uh, first of all, we represent journalists and we represent journalists as workers. So we're very acutely aware that there are huge economic uh, implications of the COVID, both for freelancers and for staff. Um, people have been threatened with uh, unemployment, with redundancy. Some people have been made redundant. Uh, I think the government payment, the COVID payments, uh, which were primarily pushed by the trade union movement, uh, have been of assistance. We have had some employers, particularly in the regional press sector, who have operated on the basis of never waste a, a good crisis. And uh, therefore, that is a particular problem. Uh, there's, there are significant challenges to the industry arising from drop in revenue, and I wouldn't underplay that at all. Uh, and that has led to uncertainty for the future. So there's obviously there's the economic impact. There's also the impact on mental health of that uncertainty, and, and I'm very aware of the, uh, of the impact of uh, an uncertain future on workers. Um, and then, of course, while we talk about frontline workers as being journalists involved in saving lives and in mission-critical uh, engage, uh, employment, uh, such as the health services, I'm very aware that journalists are also recognised as key workers. Uh, and the and bringing information to the public in a pandemic is important. And I go back 100 years to the importance of that. And that is, I've recently been reading the book Stacking the Coffins by Ida Millen, which outlines the history of the uh, Spanish flu. And what's really interesting about that is the important role the media played then in informing uh, the public and also the lessons to be learned from that experience. And I think one of the points which is sometimes missed in terms of journalism at the moment is that we're not only bringing information journalists are also recording information for the future and should be allowed to do so and asking the difficult questions and bringing information into the public domain is an important mission for the future just thinking as well uh, when it comes to the spanish flu uh, i'm not sure how many people realize the reason it's called the spanish flu was because uh, Spanish media, which wasn't censored because of the ongoing war in Europe, were the first media to start reporting it, while everyone else was told not to because it might affect morale. Yes, and and in some respects there is an element of that and has been an element. I mean, you obviously see it with Trump. You've seen it in the UK. You see it to a lesser extent in Ireland. But there is the notion that the that public interest journalism means wearing the green jersey. Um, it doesn't. It, it means asking the questions on behalf of the public. Uh, I always think that the four, one of the first journalists and most effective journalists was the little boy in the 
the Hans Christian Andersen story, um, uh, who, who said the, the emperor is naked. And uh, that is the function. The function of the media is to say the emperor is naked, or at least to question his fashion style. And uh, in the same way, when, you, when we sit in and we look at the live media conferences, uh, Sometimes the public would say, well, why, why are they being nice, nasty to that nice doctor? Uh, it's not the media being nasty. It's the media asking the questions that need to be asked, which people at home are asking. And my own view is that public officials have handled the crisis quite well and that public officials have nothing to fear from uh, transparency. I don't believe that difficult questions pose a threat. What would pose a threat to public confidence is if the public officials are not able to answer the questions, uh, or if information is concealed. Because when information is concealed, or when it's made difficult to get, then I think people become suspicious. I would have a particular concern about the manner in which you know, it has taken so long to publish minutes of meetings and also I don't know yet what, uh, what freedom of information regime is in operation in relation to the current crisis because it is really important uh, both for news and for historic scholarship that we know uh, how decisions were reached, why they were reached and who took I'm just thinking, I saw some tweets from uh, Ken Fox at one stage that some government departments had effectively suspended freedom of information they announced that they were doing other things so it wasn't going to be happening for the present perhaps more worryingly on the COVID tracing app that apparently some of the committees considering how that would work actually are not minuting the meetings yeah and i think it is really important for us in every sphere of life to realize that uh, life hasn't changed because of COVID. The law hasn't been suspended. Uh, the free, there's nothing in the Freedom of Information Act which allows that to happen. But we also have that in relation to employment rights. We have employers who seem, you know, I've had an employer in the regional press sector um, and who said, well, you know, a number of people are being laid off and the rest are going to have to work around the clock. Well, actually, no, they won't because the Working Time Act still applies. Uh, and workers have rights and responsibilities. Uh, and one of the, the big issues for the NUJ and indeed for managers is to protect journalists from themselves. Uh, you can't work all the hours that, uh, that you have. Uh, in you know, and, and you do need rest. And, and it is important that editorial resources are made available. Uh, the requirement to rest, to social distance, to pace yourself, all of those uh, requirements uh, are of paramount importance if journalists are to do the job. And I suppose the other issue which we, we always have to emphasize as well is that uh, you know, this is such a big story that you're never going to get all of the information. The, the, you know, so media organizations need to take a bit of a breather occasionally and to say, you know, we're going to miss some bits, uh, bits of this. But it is important that we get the information and get the information right. It's also, I suppose, Jared, what I would say is it's a good time for journalism as well, particularly for independent, verifiable journalism. Uh, what distinguishes professional journalists uh, from others is that they verify facts, that they don't trade in rumour. Um, and, and I think there is a return to trusted sources of news, and that can only be a good thing for journalism. I suppose if we look at the other 
big story in Ireland at the moment that continues to bubble along in the background, uh, and that's the gov ongoing government information talks. Um, in a context where, I mean, the COVID crisis has basically illustrated to a large extent how underinvestment in journalism and so on over the years is now causing a major impact at a time when the system is stressed. Uh, you've been talking for a while, I know, about the Commission of the Future of Journalism. How would you see that working? Well, I think there are, there's a few elements of that. Um, first of all, you know, I understand there is a public health emergency and that a strategic review of the media in Ireland might not seem to be the immediate priority. But we have for a long time been talking about the lack of investment in journalism and in what I call public interest journalism. And that refers both to National Public Service Broadcasting, but also to other fields. And one of the points I would make in relation to that is that uh, it is ironic that at a time when so many people are coming to to look at trusted media that uh, it was never under greater peril. And we this week published a recovery plan. One of the elements of that is the establishment of a commission on the future of the media in Ireland. Um, it is worth noting that uh, the government before Christmas announced the establishment of or maybe in January, the establishment of a Commission on the Future of Public Service Broadcasting to report by September. They then called a general election. Uh, they appointed a chair but failed to appoint the rest of the committee. And in our inquiries this week to the department about what's happening, bluntly no one knows. So in terms of public service broadcasting, RTE has been asked, don't close Lyric, don't sell the field, don't sell land out in Donnybrook, uh, to meet any of your your rescue plan, uh, because the commission is going to point the way, and it'll be done by September. So RTE are in in the grip of financial crisis, and that commission report hasn't even met yet. Um, we've said all along that we believe that a commission only on public service broadcasting, and what really was going to be a commission in RTE was 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 a bad idea. And uh, we believe there's a need for a strategic view on. Uh, wider media. But I suppose a more immediate concern, as we sit talking, um, the Greens, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are looking at putting together a programme for government. Uh, one of the issues I would think is that they need to look at the establishment of a new department. It would be, uh, in my view, arts, culture and the media. Uh, the Department of Communications is lumped in with ch climate change and local government. Uh, or sorry, the environment. So that's uh, a very vast programme uh, and communications is looked very much as the engineering wing and or the regulatory wing. And what we need is a department with a bit of a, a bit of vision and which looks imaginatively at as what state assistance might, might look like for freelance journalism, for training, for education, for making media more relevant and accessible. Uh, the problem is we're talking in global terms, but we really do need, and there may be long-term um, strategies, but the house is on fire. And uh, I sometimes, you know, feel like, you know, you're, you're, you're painting the Sistine Chapel, <laughs> but everyone out there is in crisis and they don't see that big picture stuff as being relevant to them. So the government does need to look at a programme of packages. Well, that programme should be to assist in employment, uh, 
and not just as a means of bailing out owners who are dissatisfied at not being able to make enough money. And I know I'm, I'm possibly asking you to anticipate what the Commission will cl- conclude, but how would you s- see a mechanism that would allow that to happen, that the focus would be on the jobs and the journalism and not simply increasing someone's profit? Well, I think there are a few issues. Uh, first of all, um, taxation plays a role, and we have talked about the tech giants um, who take a huge chunk of money out of the economy, that they would actually be a source of revenue. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think I have to explain to explain to listeners uh, of this podcast how journalists through their labours provide social media essentially with the means by which they make large books. Uh, I think that um, any assistance that could be given would be given uh, to companies that meet certain standards. I'm not thinking in particular of employment standards, uh, editorial independence will be important. Um, and many of these criteria are actually set out in legislation already. When you are, uh, if you're a company seeking to acquire uh, another media company, uh, and this would have happened, for instance, in the case of independent news and media when they were seeking to buy Celtic media, There is a checklist under the Competition Act, which the Broadcasting Authority, which is the review body, strangely, uh, has to go through. And that that does include uh, employment standards, adherence to regulatory uh, frameworks, industrial relations record, plurality and diversity. So all of those issues apply. So there are hardworking media companies who have a good track record, and they certainly should be assisted. Uh, but if you are, for instance, a regional newspaper employer who hasn't been uh, availed of the uh, COVID-19 payments or, or let off workers and then availed of it to a limited extent and has used the opportunity to merge titles, to introduce redundancies, I don't see why the taxpayer should be help, uh, help you in exactly the same way. So I also think there is an understandable fear on the part of people that this is sort of the state funding um, journalism and therefore a loss of independence. But there are models throughout Europe and indeed the rest of the world for funding. And I mentioned in our release that the Simon Cumbers Fund, which is actually administered by Ireland Aid, is an interesting example um, of how uh, schemes could be operated independently. Um, I, I don't want to preempt the work of uh, the Commission, but I, I think at the moment the situation is so grave that we have to look for imaginative solutions and i think we need to do it very quickly and i think that uh, there is nothing to fear from such a scheme but i would prefer if it was under the auspices of a new a new department uh, and i think also if you look at the funding that has avail- is available uh, from the bai uh, in relation to independent production that does actually work quite well um Familiar with the Simon Cumbers Fund, but I'm not. It, I think it definitely would need uh, tweaking if it was to be used. Because one of the bizarre things about it is, it will fund your stay in a hotel and your fly, air flights and so on if you go out to do a story. But one item that they won't allow is journalist time. Yeah, and I think it. it yeah, the the principle the principle of the fund is a go- is a good idea, and I think it you know the mechanism uh, or the mechanics of it is, is something that I think we would have to look at. Uh, the reason I raise it is that I have never heard anyone suggesting uh, 
that the fact that it is administered by Ireland Aid in any way interferes with editorial independence. So it's in that context that I think it provides a useful uh, example of, of the kind of uh, uh, models that are available. I also think it is hugely important that if there is to be state funding, uh, that it is not just for media organisations, that individual journalists and perhaps cooperatives uh, and I would have to say community groups uh, would have access to that funding as well. It cannot just be something which is available to corporate media. That would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. And I think there would have to be a bias towards areas, including geographical areas, where uh, there is a, a news deficit. So there are currently areas of this country where as a result of the political cowardice uh, in failing to deal with media dominance, there are no journalists available to cover courts, councils, public affairs. Uh, and I think a freelancer would set up in that area looking at uh, covering public affairs in that area should be entitled to look at some form of um, levy, some form of grant assistance in relation to that. I don't think that that is something which is outside the scope of our imagination. Of course, there would be a natural concern um, that uh, any such scheme uh, should not be open to patronage or abuse. Uh, and I know as a, a well-known cynic, you probably would be sceptical about that, Jar. but I think it is not within the bounds of possibility that we couldn't put checks and balances in such a scheme. I'm wondering at the other end of things as well, apart from the very local kind of interference that you might have in editorial independence from it, even stepping back, I mean, the EU presumably would take a view on, on this as possibly contravening state aid laws. Would this have to be something that would, that would be decided by in, in the next Irish government, or would it have to be done also in Brussels and other European capitals? Well, well, the the policy, the the NUJ policy in relation to this is something which has um, emanated in originally from our overall policy covering the UK and Ireland. Uh, it has been embraced by the it has been embraced by the International Federation of Journalists, and in fact, we've had ex a huge level of interest in the tax the tax justice element of it with the tech companies, even from firm company from organisations in as far as Wales, Australia. America. Um, I think that uh, we would clearly have to look at uh, any European uh, implications of European law, but I don't. I don't see that uh, it, that it, it poses any significant problems. Interestingly enough, the European Parliament did, and I think probably still does, uh, operate a scheme. Uh, which uh, funded journalists covering the European Parliament. Uh, the um, scheme was encouraged, uh, paid travel and subsistence for national newspaper and journalists and broadcasters covering the European uh, Parliament as a means of ensuring that the Parliament of Europe was open to the citizens of Europe. And no one thought that that was in any way an interference uh, or that it was inappropriate. I suppose the distinction would be whether it's paying some or paying all media. If, if, the, if the funding's available to every journalist, then no journalist has been given a, a leg up unfairly. And... Yeah, it would, it would, it would yes, it, 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 would, it would have to be, it would have to be, uh, available to everyone and in fact we would believe uh, as an affiliate of the International Federation of Journalists and the European Federation of Journalists that Europe has a vested interest uh, in ensuring that there is uh, 
a greater investment in journalism. Uh, and a healthy Europe and a healthy democratic Europe is dependent upon uh, funding. And of course, some other European states do operate different levels of funding. So there'd be nothing new in this. But I do think that uh, the, you know, if people, if we are to have an informed citizenship, citizenry, then they have to have access to information. Uh, and that's entirely consistent with the principles of not just uh, the, Europe, uh, with the European Union, but also the Council of Europe, uh, and indeed with uh, the in international principles as well. And I think that organisations such as UNESCO would have a clear view uh, on the proposals that we have in relation to literacy uh, and media literacy. I think we clearly need to educate people of all ages uh, in how to differentiate, for instance, between fake news and information. Uh, and one of the proposals that we have in our document is that there would be systems of free access to digital media for at one level for young, younger people to encourage engagement with media. We've also suggested as a means of encouraging older people to use digital media that there would be a system of free access over 70. And tax credits could be used in that way as well. I'm not a fan of uh, simply deciding that we're going to have a zero or a level of VAT. Uh, I haven't ruled that out, uh, but the reality is the last time that reduced VAT on newspapers, the newspaper owners simply used that as an opportunity to increase the price of papers, so there was actually no benefit to the consumer. And I think that uh, any, any policy in relation to taxation, for instance, will have to uh, take into account the fact that, again, it's about journalists, it's about companies, but it's actually also about those who consume the product. I suppose the one point I, I would make in relation to the commission is that uh, this commission is about the future of the media, so it's not just about economics, it's also about making the media available to more people. So we would uh, want uh, an examination of the gender balance within media organizations. We would also look at the ethnic balance. We know that there are very few black or ethnic minority journalists in Ireland. Uh, we have very few travelers working in journalism. Uh, and how do we uh, provide opportunities for a more diverse media? What training do we provide and what in-service training do we provide? Unlike the legal profession or accountancy or medical profession, uh, the journalism is one of those areas where actually there is no in-service training. And, you know, the kind of work at which the NUJ does uh, through the Freelance Forum is, is remarkable because there's so little of it. And, uh, you know, again, one of the uh, criticisms I think that the taxpayer would make of uh, media organisations, and they would be right, is that they are demanding uh, aid, but they haven't demonstrated an ability or a willingness um, to come forward with ideas for training, for improving um, access, for promotional opportunities, for making the media more relevant. And in the case of the regional press sector, uh, the NUJ has been consistently saying that in order to meet the changing media landscape, there needed to be an investment in technology and in uh, digital platforms. And one of the factors which has plunged the regional media into crisis is that they're not able to meet that digital reality. The belief was that in some way their readership, their core readership and older readership 
was not interested in accessing a, a newspaper online. I think the last few months have shown that older people are well capable of accessing digital uh, information, uh, that they should not be patronised. Uh, and I think that the regional press stand indicted for failing uh, to invest in digital media. I think there is remains a role for regional radio and uh, regional print editions and for digital news online. And I think that that is one of the areas that needs urgent uh, attention because the regional press is specifically in crisis. Seamus Julie, thanks very much for joining me. Okay, thanks, Jared. Thank you very much.